Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Maddie Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network. people. Leo Phillips here with another edition of This Must Be The Gig, your little backstage pass to the world of live music. If you're new here, every single week I bring you fascinating conversations from the beating heart of the performance scene with some of the most exciting names in this gigantic big spongy globe. We talk passion, we talk first concerts, insights into the creative mind during this truly unusual time and everything in the Juicy Center. This week, I am beyond delighted to share a conversation with the incredible, the powerful Jenny Beth. There's always that fear that the world's going to forget about you. I have been very lucky to cover Janie Beth many times over the years as the vocalist of the almighty post-punk band Savages. I can remember the shove of the crowd running to the stage when she came on. It was the most exhilarating performance I've ever shot. It was one of the first shows, I think, one of the first shows I shot many, many years ago at the Guess Who Festival, which I've spoken about so many times. And there was one moment which I remember vividly when she prompted a dude that was kind of hanging over the front of the stage and she pulled him up on stage. He kind of made a little bit of a Jesus arm stretched out wide across the across the stage reach and she pushed him into the crowd and he flew it was remarkable and there really are incredibly few performers with that kind of intensity and energy and seeing her walk across the outstretched hands of fans at the front of the crowd is just one of the biggest wow moments I think I've ever experienced and that energy has not been contained only in Savages as Jenny has also acted hosted radio and tv shows 
And she also has an upcoming book about sexual liberation and transgression, which was produced with her partner, Johnny Hostel. So this month, Jenny released her first album under her own name. It's called To Love Is To Live. And rather than a solo album, she has dubbed it a personal album. Thanks in part to her collaborative process with artists such as the XX's Romy Madley Croft and producer Flood. The album To Love Is To Live is such a triumph and Jenny's voice honed to an incredibly fine point that she wields with curiosity and passion. In this chat, I spoke with Jenny about the origins of the album, her earliest performance experiences and so much more. So let us not be delayed. This is me and Jenny. Please take care of yourselves and enjoy. my first show this weekend um, uh, for the BBC um, and you can watch it online if, you, if you're curious to see it. Yeah. It was at the Roundhouse in London. How was that? It was great. It was absolutely, you know, beyond. Yeah, I loved it. And have you performed any of those songs before the show? No, it was the first time. It was oh. the first time. 
when I started making this record, To Love Is To Live, I uh, consciously uh, avoided thinking of the stage uh, first because I wanted to do things differently from what I had done before. And obviously with Savages, uh, it was all about the stage. The records came second, you know. And um, I, I really wanted to make a, a record first and foremost. So so I, I forced myself to stop thinking about... Uh, the, the musical representation of the songs on stage and and concentrated on making an album and so last August I started to um, with Johnny Hostile um, we started to think about um, you know what who who was going to be on stage with us and how we're going to um, bring bring those songs to the stage and so it's been a lot of work and a lot of learning new techniques as well. And we wanted to up our game a bit in in the way we had done things before, and it was very interesting. And we learned a lot uh, through that process. And and so the last show, the first show was um, last weekend, and um, and it felt like I'd never left the stage. It felt very natural and very uh, very rewarding and and uh, fun as well. When a performance is effective. Like what makes it work for you? Obviously, everybody has a different discipline and a different way to approach it. But why is it mm. effective? And why do you why why do you walk off stage? And how do you walk off stage going like, okay, I got what I needed from that? What are the things that you actually need? I tend to not plan in advance too much. I, I just never know if if, if I'm going to walk go to the crowd or try to keep it, um, you know. In the moment, I think the, the the thing I try to tell myself before going on is do not think, you know, a uh, place for thinking. So and I just want to let the music do the do the job, you know, and and transform me and 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 put me in a different place. Um, what I, I love about um, you know stage is that you, it's a moment where you can give you complete attention to something. Um, and there's no observer at all, you know, and um, uh, and it, in that state of attention, I think is total energy, and that total energy energy is is a form of intelligence in itself, you know, and maybe even a higher form of intelligence. I love that because also, you know, improvising on stage is one thing, but also just like feeling into oneself is also a, a really tough skill to harness when sometimes being in control as a creative is really important so that's interesting mm. if you give you know kind of not giving up but surrendering in that moment um mm. it also takes a lot of preparation i don't know if that makes sense exactly that's why uh, preparation is the key i think uh yeah. You know, the same slow preparation, fast execution. I think it's it's exact that you, you work so hard before and to make everything the way you want it to be, but when it comes to time to perform then everything all that that work pays off and it's been done and you just enjoy the moment, you know. I think what's interesting what you said earlier about obviously having that consideration of creating an album not mm. based on the outcome of okay I'm going to be performing this like you did with savages you obviously phrased it much better than I am doing now but I think that that's quite an interesting point in that I wonder now what changed then in the subjects that you decided to tackle or did that not come into consideration what what was the thing that shifted when you weren't thinking about the stage 
during the creation mm. of this record? I think it's because if I was going to think of the stage, I was going to be tied up to one sound um, and maybe try to recreate what I had done before. Um, and um, after after the Savage's second record, I, I collaborated with Gorillaz and and then I did some recordings with Breedy of Massive Attack, um, which uh, never came out, um, not yet anyway, but, um, but that opened my mind about how um, my voice could work, my persona, let's say, um, could work in different types of music. And and it just got me curious, you know, um, about exploring different sounds and opening up. Um, so, um, so, so, you know, during the process of making the album, I just consciously tried to keep myself in the unknown um, and not knowing... Um, what what I was doing, and if I would hear sound or you know, similar to what I had heard myself before, I would I would try to to get rid of it, and I would try to keep things that I didn't know what they were. Um, so, so so it's just my only strategy, you know. I think in the past I was starting I would start with a goal and something I, I really want to achieve, and I work hard to achieve it. And for this record, I. I didn't start with um, with a you know a preconception of or an idea. I just I, I tried to work with instinct and um, you know start with an impulsion, a feeling, an experience, but not start with a postula or an idea. And obviously, that's liberating in a sense, but it's also more so like I'm sure that's really it's it's it's, it's quite exciting also for you to do something because anything new I could imagine feels quite recharged you know like when, yeah. you're, when you're doing something new that's quite even if it's tough it's something new so yeah. it gets you out of that like usual funk of okay I'm trying to repeat and then I might not be able to yeah and I, I, I enjoy that feeling of starting from scratch I think it's something I've done several times in my life and and uh, I love uh, working against fear you know and um, feeling that feeling of you know discomfort that it creates uh, um it's it's um it's not very um it's it's not comfortable but it but it feels feels um you feel alive you know i like how you phrase like obviously working against it because i think what's so interesting is always an artist's or just a human's relationship to fear in terms of sharing your work in terms of being you know entwined in your work so mm. that's quite interesting especially because your collaborative work style of course with the band it, it, you you're one persona and then going into things that are kind of servicing yourself it's another so every time that fear came up what did you did you just have to work through it or do you find that it just had a different face? You know, that the normal fear wasn't really there because you were kind of, you know, into your own thing. How did you push through that fear then? Well, you know, I I, um, I, I like working with fear. I think fear is part of the process. I think fear is, shouldn't be really um, listened to sometimes. Um, there are certain feelings like that which... Um, uh, are transient and um, don't define who we are, but we can't help feeling them, like jealousy or, 
you know, fear. And um, I think they are, um, there are feelings that um, I don't want to be defined by them because if you, if you go behind, if you, if you work despite of fear, you're going to, you're going to be more generous towards yourself because you, it's such an effort to, you, you're doing something so, from which you cannot come back. And, uh, um, and um, I think once you're in that state, um, then you become more aware and a little bit more alert and maybe more generous and more giving. And, and so I think the creatively you can hear it and you can hear it in the work, you know, but I mean, that's what you call sort of freedom in a way, but freedom doesn't come for free. So you're always going to have to pay a price, you know, for, for challenging um, things. And um, yeah, but um Conquering the fear is—it's um, what we love in people that we call heroes. You know, my heroes, or you know, um, and they are. That's why I wanted to write a song about heroes. And, and um, I felt that, um, that um, people who, you know, who, who despite the, their conditioning, their education, the context. Uh, in which they are, they manage to conquer their fears, and and um, despite all the suffering that comes with it, you know. So that's why heroes, isn't it? So um, I found that very inspiring. Unfortunately, <clears throat> heroes um, are most of the time um, uh, killed. Right, right. <laughs> because they, they don't. Um, they remind us how much we've lived so timidly. Yeah. Um, so we don't uh, really like that. Um, or often praised when they are, when they have passed, because then you look back at like the breadth of their yeah. work, and then you, and then you get to have that perspective, right? And it's too late. So, yeah. so what sort of fear then did you push past for this? What were the things? I know it's hard to quantify um, so simply, but was there anything that kind of surprised you about? about this process that uh, that you really didn't expect I think um, I had to um, accept to to show um, parts of myself um, which are also part of um, you know what it is to be human and which I um, which I'm ashamed of and not very proud of um, and I wanted to bring that forward um, into the work and make it the center, sort of centerpiece of the work, and and then try to start from there. But start from the place I'm, or the the, the ideas and the thoughts I'm most ashamed of, um, you know, because that's what I love in 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 novels or films or you know when you have characters that are flown and they they they're not uh, perfect and um, and explore you know that evil side and. and see what that means <laughs> when you put the mask on and because uh, I always feel a bit uncomfortable when I feel like there's a line that's drawn on on the ground and I'm stand, standing on the right side of the fence um, I always feel very uncomfortable artistically anyway so I think a lot of the record is me going through those sort of personas and and, uh, and um, doing bad things together because I think living is uh, accepting to be wrong I feel like that sounds very clear for you, 
but I'm kind of intrigued by that um, clarity. <laughs> a lot of people just get stopped, right, when they are going to be showing another version of themselves, which is why, like, art is so vulnerable in any respect, whether it's, you know, through painting or performance. Mm. Like, do you feel like you were supported very well enough considering you know you have some amazing collaborators on this record as well like it, it's there's quite unique you know everyone from obviously yeah. flood to joe from idols who's just such a wonderful person and do you feel like that assisted in a way to allow you to feel a little bit more comfy with putting those that version of yourself out there yeah probably i feel i feel um everyone in was taken part in the record has been um, at some point or another owned it completely you know um, and taken uh, more than partnership more like you know um, it was their record uh, for a while and uh, and I wanted that to happen um, I allowed them to take ownership you know of the record um, during the process because I feel that's what's beautiful about collaborations when you can see someone's talent just really take take the space, you know, um, in your own space. And then the the people I worked with were 100% believing into the record. And maybe that, you're right, maybe that helped me to, um, to spread my wings a bit and to just be, um, it was a, a high, very high level of trust, you know. Yeah. Uh, I worked, so... Um, I mean, the, f- the first collaborator, obviously, is Johnny Hostein, who, who I've been working with for 15 mm. years. Exactly, so. yeah. And our relationship has um, had to evolve for this record and our work relationship. Um, and that doesn't go without cha- its challenges, but I, uh, that's what we're good at. That's what we love doing. So um, trying to uh, break our habits and try to do things differently. Um, and because we were really didn't want to repeat ourselves or the way we had done things in the past, and and, and I and I I needed time, and I allowed time to um, be in you know to, to to be one of the main ingredients, let's say, of the process. Because I felt that before I was done record in a rush, and yeah, and um, this was going to be something that I wanted to take time with and uh, to explore and have a lot of re- do a lot of research musical research, but also lyrics, right, you know, lyric writing, doing some sessions with Romy Madley Croft from the XX, who was a really good friend of mine, but who really, like, took on board this sort of, um, you know, um, a process together of meeting up and, and meet her and travel to meet her in Berlin or to wh- wherever she was touring and, or, in, or, um, or in Las Vegas, I remember once, and, and just sitting down in the hotel room a whole day and just writing together and, and all that is it's not that maybe maybe I don't know 10% of what we've done made it to the record but it was more about exploring new methods of working and learning from someone else who comes from a different you know background and we have a lot in common musically like we love a lot of uh, similar things but also we we come from different um, uh, horizons so I felt it was uh, I, I don't know. I love the idea of learning new things and 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 not trying to 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 conclude too soon or to finalize things too soon, but just allow a period of time when it was just research, you know, and 
I think that time is such a fascinating concept in relation to a creative, right? Like people don't get, it's not that you don't get given enough time, but I don't think you demand enough of it. Not you, but one. Because the time it takes, I always feel like people, like when people say, oh, they write so quickly. I'm like, I don't. I write so slowly. I yeah. write and backspace. I go out for a walk. I come back. It's like my process yeah. is so scrambled and different depending on what I'm writing. And I feel like I'm always struggling with the concept, like how to stretch and expand that sense of time around something. Yeah. Because I think, and that's even weirdly to, sorry to sound uh, maybe a little bit philosophizing too much but okay. the philosophy behind giving time to oneself and others is something that we just don't feel anymore like I feel panicked a lot and things like that yeah. and so hearing you say that you got that time and you gave it to yourself is such a wonderful idea yeah and I felt that I've never really done a record like this and allow like moments where I wouldn't listen to it for a few weeks, you know, and and have a different perspective. I wanted to shift perspectives and, and make sure it was the best it could be. I think it was it's very good that I did that because I've you know, after a year of work I thought I had the record and it was done. And then I listened back, I remember after a few weeks and I, it was so clear it wasn't ready. And um but but I had the feeling that it had it was done but so I needed more more time and um but you need to be very um strong because you you want to get out there you want to release the music you want people to hear it but at the same time you don't really want to go there if you're not ready if you're not sure what you have to say and also there's always that fear that the world's going to forget about you so i but i knew that music you know so i was like okay i've heard this before i know it's not true so i trust myself and just you know live my life and work because I've worked a lot, like, although you're not public and you're not out there. But you also, I mean, you you were acting and performing, of course, in, in a few films as well. Yeah. And you also, you know, are, are releasing a book coming up as well, which, yeah. like, I can't wait to talk about as, um, in addition to this. Do you feel like mm. they helped you in writing this album or are they completely separate disciplines? They are different, Um Disciplines. I also um, started working on a TV show uh, a year ago oh. on a TV show, which has just started uh, uh, being broadcasted this year. Oh, wow. And and um, I, I I think my hero for that is Henry Rollins. You can feel that drive in him of trying new things and um, and having these experiences. You know, I think you learn uh, about yourself in a different way through these different experiences and and maybe yes they 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 are helpful for the record in some ways but they're more helpful in knowing yourself you know the record in a way i mean lyrically i wrote pretty quickly all the lyrics maybe in like six months or a year i i had everything i wanted to say um and then it was about working the, the music and uh, and I couldn't really write any more lyrics after that. I felt sick of writing lyrics. <laughs> yeah. And so in between recording sessions of To Love Us To Live, I started writing a book uh, of short stories uh, about sexuality and erotica. Uh, and I w- it, w- it was interesting because I-, I felt that lyric writing is always 
something you can do in passing mm-hmm. um, in the bus or in the car or I don't traveling especially I think it's good right. or or hearing someone say something in the street or on TV or it's this sort of patchwork of things that suddenly come to you um, or things you read articles like one song on the record I, I wrote after reading articles about people who um, who have to go on rehab for electronics you know for their phone and oh, d- the digital kind of digital rehab yeah how the digital world would start, start changing our bodies and our mind and People would uh, go blind and their brain would be atrophied and they'd feel like they can't have any thinking, clear thinking anymore. But then for the book writing, I felt um, it was very hard to do it on the go. Like when you write a book, it's more you sitting at a desk for hours. Um, It's a very different process and you have to be very concentrated and very focused and, and and also very alone. Because you don't want any distractions while you you start writing pages and pages. Uh, um, so I started to travel on my own. So I went to to different cities and I just settled there for a while and uh, and just have my routine in the city, have my breakfast in the local cafe, and then go back home and work for like five hours. Oh my god! And then go for my late dinner, and then and then just walk around in the city. Um, it just felt different and, and very physical, even though I was just sitting at a desk. Yeah, um, well, there's movement there as well, like the fluidity that you feel when you are like writing lyrics on a bus or a plane or backstage mm. or wherever. Um, you can recreate that almost sitting in one spot, but but that's with yeah. your brain because you're doing these mental you know, aerobics almost, trying to tr- figure out what words fit together, what ideas fit together. I don't know if this is a weird question, but how important are your surroundings when you are in that creative mode? Like, especially if you're traveling around. Yeah, very important. I think I always want to have my desk in front of a big window. Yeah. So I always try to find places where there's a massive view. So it's a big, big desk and, and books and, and my my um, notebooks and my computer and uh, water, coffee. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I love, I really love the, the discipline of writing a book. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's like a ritual almost and mm. uh, to shut down the world really and concentrate on finishing it. Pause the podcast! It's time to step away from the conversation with Jenny Beth ever so briefly to share a special segment. We typically like to share our favorite live show or live stream of the week, but we want to continue putting a spotlight where it's most needed right now and instead highlight an organization we think you should contribute to. This week we're highlighting Chicago EAT, Chicago Equity and Transformation. The organization was founded and established for and by post-incarcerated and marginalized black people in Chicago, and it strives to uplift the faces, voices, and power of the vast disenfranchised and excluded black workforce in Chicago. To support those working without the legal protections of formal employment, you can go to eatchicago.org, that's eatchicago.org, and uh, contribute to their campaign. It's an incredible organization we really would love if you joined us in support. If you would like to learn more about that organization or many others that you can contribute to, 
head to our Google Doc of shared resources and uh, reading material. That link will always be in the episode description and also on our social media. And also feel free to reach out to us at thismustbethegig at gmail.com in order to share other organizations you think we should know about and share with everyone that's listening. But for now, back to Lior and Jenny. Enjoy! writing about sexuality you need to tap into some sort of imagination of course which again you use and utilize for your for lyric writing and songwriting and also performing like that imagination I wonder if that imagination is similar for writing about sex and sexuality as it is for music because both will very vividly like those two worlds I feel like are in that imaginary fantasy world um, even if you're yeah. writing about things that are real or not. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's why I'm, at the time I was reading a lot of uh, Borges, uh, the writer, and um, and I was really uh, interested in that sort of magical realism style. And I love that um, dim- different dimensions of um, realism. And I felt that for sexuality and especially fantasies, it was great to be able to uh, get offward, you know, and to have that freedom and bring some magic into it. And obviously the land of imagination is the best place for sexual expression. And mm-hmm. um, um, I think we should uh, use our mind more and, you know, and so uh, to have this sort of, um, how do you say, um, initiative, you know, with sexuality, to instigate, yeah. initi- uh, with connect more our imagination with uh, sexuality, I think is, Well, then it allows you to be in a space where you are experiencing something, whether it's on your own or with a partner, with multiple partners, whatever your preference, of course, then you're allowing yourself, you're like giving yourself permission then to imagine that any outcome is possible as opposed to seeing yourself as this like boxed in being, um, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like I feel like I used to write about sex a lot when I first started writing. Um, Yeah. And I feel like weirdly when I started writing mu- about music, it was I feel like I was tapping into the same brain because yeah, yeah, the yeah. way that I listen to music is really similar to the way that I think about sex because there is that pos- endless possibility. Like nothing, even if you sit and say, Lior, I know the themes of this album. I know what I was singing. This is what it's mm. about. It's still going to mean something different to every single one so every single person that you know it touches because that's the ability of art and storytelling right yeah i agree i agree i mean um i i i like what you're saying about um um writing about music writing about sexuality being similar i i i'm not i don't write about music so but i like that you shared that i think that's very interesting i never thought about it that way before i don't think i have either but listening to you speak about it in a way where there's so many limitations to ways of describing one's experience whether that's sexuality mm. or whether that's politics or whether that's you know uh, relationships fear anxiety anything love and there's always that like weird cap of like well if you do it this way you need to do it that way forever and I think like approaching something with almost like a childlike imagination is so crucial for you not only for yourself but also for the reader or the person who's going to 
You know, like you can almost hear that on the, on the album. Like I feel when you get to the song A Place Above with um, you've got Cillian Murphy. Uh, yeah. I know it's like a minute long, but that felt, felt almost cinematic to me in a way of like, I feel like I'm watching a movie. I don't yeah. know if that makes sense. Like I felt like I was Absolutely. taken to another place in your album in that moment. Imagination plays a very important role in the change of uh, humanity. Um, That's I think sometimes uh, telling stories is more powerful than writing essays because, you know, the same way like a dream can change your perception. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, uh, even reality as we know it, uh, society as we know it, is a fiction, you know. It's got its own lexicology, its own myths, its own heroes. So the society functions under the secret understanding of the codes of of that fiction. Um, So in a way, you can't really um, interact or fight that fiction with ideas. You have to fight it with fiction. And fiction doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, you know. but, um, But sometimes I feel it's more powerful to tell a story than than trying to um, consciously try to uh, break down, you know, all the elements of society um, and, like, you know, the, the way that activism would do or, or you know, exactly. sometimes the imagination can be more powerful. And, but the, 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 the writing about sexuality for me was also important because I still feel that love is um, too much defined by the ancestral codes of romanticism because we look at relationships with a sort of hope of um, normality and we, we want to be reassured we we want to confine our feelings to what we are told they should be and I think we you know we think that what relationship requires and what makes them valuable we think we know what they require and what makes them valuable but we don't imagine that love is something we can learn no and so we fall in love then and we're unhappy the problem I have with romanticism is that it generates so much frustration um, and we're disappointed constantly that reality, our reality disagrees with the idea of love that we've been made to accept as the only alternative. So writing about sexuality and different kinds of sexuality is funny, a way to suggest new alternatives um, for those who don't necessarily find... Um, that the accepted modes of loving, like monogamy, um, family, are necessarily everything they want uh, in their life. Um, and again, no judgment if it if it's not the case. Like it's not it's 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 uh, everybody is different, and also everybody is different in their lifetime. You might need different things depending on your age and what's happening in your life. Um, but just I wanted to to bring forward the idea that love is not a fixed image that one can adjust to or resemble. You know, um, love is movable, it's changeable, it's, um, um, and it differs with time and with each individual, I suppose. So it's sort of my post-romantic sort of <laughs> story. But I, And I love that because I think a lot of people will be inspired by that notion because seeing something as the static box, like amidst a storm, it's very hard for that box to survive, right? So if you do have the static idea of how things are meant to be, this unchangeable thing, how are you ever meant to get... It's like somebody saying... 
oh, you know, my partner isn't compromising or my work relationships, they're not listening to me. It's like you also need to have that sense of boundlessness almost in yourself. You know, you mentioned the word judgment. You're put in this in this weird position where you are idolized, but also expected, you know, things are expected of you. Mm. But then you also can create and then you get to do this. So there's so many different sides of it. You almost have to be as boundless as that as well, which I think mm. is fascinating. But going from that idea of doing these things that you really love to do and exploring this version of yourself, now that the record is done with the mm -hmm. performative side, we started chatting in the beginning of this conversation about the performance that you just did. Do you find that you're approaching performance in that way as well now? Like you're opening up to things that you know, anything can happen in that moment. When we're talking about change, I think change is something that happens very intimately, you know, in, um, in the intimacy of yourself, but it's not something you can decide. Um, you can't just wake up and be like, oh, okay, I'm going to change. I think, yeah, live performance is going to be my next uh, sort of creative output, I'd say. I, I suppose I was, I'm also starting... I started writing new ideas for new book, and so I think those things are gonna, you know, come, yeah, or another film soundtrack, or you know, things like that that are gonna come, yeah. I could even hear that on the record, though, even with like, uh, you know, the French countryside and uh, the rooms, especially that song also stuck out in terms of like that filmic quality to it. Um, yeah. But do you remember the first concert that you ever saw when you were either a child or an adult, like the first live yeah. performance that you ever experienced? Do you remember that? Yeah, there were. Let's. I think there were two major ones. I was maybe 13 or something. Uh, we walked past um, a venue, the famous venue in, in Paris called Olympia. And we saw that my mum's favorite singer was performing. And um, so they bought tickets and... And we went that evening, so it was kind of an improvised sort of thing. I remember seeing the relationship that my mum would have with the gig and the way that, because she loved the gig, you know, the, the the song so much and that she felt so happy, so transported by it. And I felt it was very uh, touching, you know. And almost, um, I felt almost rude to witness it. It felt almost <laughs> like... It was, uh, yeah. You know, it was like her thing, and so it was private. very sensual, and I could sense her whole body was experiencing uh, this moment, and I felt it was very intimate, you know, and I had never really seen my mother in that situation, that context. Um, uh, it's it's almost like it, she was in love with him, and and so it was with my dad being next to, to her, and I felt it was this sort of a sort of forbidden um, Yeah. Thing, um, transgressing, you know, yeah. something uh, very exciting about, excited about. Um, second show was was uh, when I was probably fifteen or something, and I was a massive fan of the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, and oh. they hadn't released their first record yet. Um, it was just the first EP, and uh, they came to perform in Paris. So I took the train with my friend, my best friend. We we, we, we took a train from the city where I was born and. We ran to the show because we were late. And I remember um, Karen O taking about 15 to 20 minutes before she would come on stage <laughs> while the band was waiting for her. And, you know, Nick Zinn is a good friend, and I, I, I talked to him about that show. 
um, how how incredible that was for me. Like I had never seen someone being so free, you know, on stage. And I think when she finally arrived, she sort of rolled against the wall behind the curtain or something, and I started the song from there. And I, I don't know, it was such so freeing and and exciting. I, I loved it. Really. I think, I mean, I just, yeah, she's the only, I think she's one of the only people that can make me, like, do everything whilst, what like, laugh and cry and scream. Yeah. I love the year, year so much. And it's so amazing that you've said that, you've told me this experience yeah. because I can't even imagine seeing them at 15 and watching an artist like that just yeah. take over. It's completely life-saving, yeah. Because also she, she, it's not that she only knows who she is, but it's the, it's that, the, it's this like sense of uh, animalistic, like the way that she performs is so fluid. Yeah. It's kind of like everything we've been speaking about. She's such a great example of that. I mean, there's so many wonderful performers out there, which I kind of reminded you of an experience I had with watching you, which I honestly feel like <laughs> watching you is very similar to, to her, not the same at all. Um, mm. but that sense of like there's almost a weird sense of urgency mm. in the performance yeah. like you can't do anything other than that in that moment I, 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 yeah she's she's been very influential for me and watching that show I think was confirmed to me that I, I just wanted to do that you know obviously in terms of like sobriety are you still because I know reading many years ago I remember reading some things that you you know, went sober a few years ago. Um, yeah. And so are you still sober now? Yes, I am, yeah. What was the year that you went sober? Um, I'm not very good in math, but it was six years and a half ago. Okay. Well, it was especially because I was a touring artist and that because alcohol is so so available all the time and, and I started um, really to um, find, you know, have symptoms of depression and... and um, um, and and sort of tiredness, you know, and and also the, the the trigger for me was when I lost my voice. Um, oh. uh, um, you know, partying, alcohol, and and tiredness. And I went to see a specialist doctor for for the voice. Yeah, I remember people were telling me he was Adele's doctor, you know, oh. for her voice. He's <laughs> like a big master, like this oh, sort of wow. voice. Yeah. I went to see him and he told me, you know, they gave me re-education lessons for the voice, but also he said you should stop. You've got three weeks before the next tour, so you should stop drinking tea, coffee and alcohol and only drink hot water. And then there was a list of ingredients I wasn't allowed to eat. And so I did it because I thought it was my instrument. You know, I can't, if I can't sing, I can't live you know so so it was not hard for me to do it I was very highly motivated so and then when we went back on tour at the time it was actually in Australia I remember for Laneway's tour I had never sang so so easily so I have felt in control and 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 then and then also I felt that alcohol had been numbing my fears of you know stage all that, but also he had been numbing my happiness and my emotions with the music and my connection to the crowd, and and so suddenly it was like a veil was was gone, and I could hear people clapping. I think I couldn't hear them before, 
Um, well, you can't, and, yeah, because it's such a, it's a, it's, you're right, it, it's like a veil. Like when you get sober, there's a total veil, like lifted. Yeah. You almost feel like, I don't know, for me, it's been like eight years or something as well. I feel like it's been kind of similar time. Yeah. And it felt like my skin was like raw. You know, like when yeah. you, like I couldn't speak to people the same way. Um, not in a bad way. Yeah. I just, I just was like more intentional with my words and. Yeah, absolutely. More man- mindful of others. And, yes. And yourself. Yeah, yeah. And yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so then you went on to, to perform more and more. So did you kind of get a new sense of like, oh, so this is really who I am? Or did you just get a sense of like, this is just the next phase? I think the first show I was nervous. But oh. after the first two shows, I, I felt... I'm never drinking again. Like. Yeah. <laughs> well, because it's like it is like a drug, ironically. <laughs> exactly, I was high high on reality, you know. Oh, I love that. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, and and as I said, like people's cheering, and suddenly I could hear them, and I, I remember, I remember crying of 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 uh, because I realised how much people loved it and. And how much love I was receiving from them. So, and still do today. I, I would never drink before going on stage. I haven't drank ever since. But I, for me, it would be like, why would I want to um, stop myself from feeling so high on music? And and you know, it's such a gift. And especially in that moment that you live performance is all about that moment that is you cannot capture it, even if you do film it on your phone or record it. You know to release an album mm. you can never get that moment back so not being available mm. or allowing okay. yourself to be available in that moment is kind of everything you can't really get anything back can you and so might as well be in the moment i mean it's the same for sex i mean the, the i think the drugs and the alcohol are very it's quite dangerous even to to be so have such an conscious uh uh, with sexuality because I think you need to be there and you need to make sure that you do something you really want to do and you do it, you know. Uh, it's nice to, you need to find a way to disinhibit yourself, but um, but I do think that um, it's so much better without alcohol. <laughs> oh, God, I know. I've been, I, I agree. I'm certainly not one of those people who are like, never drink again, but I'm certainly... Definitely sure. of the, of the, of the, I feel like everything in my life, it was like, you know, in the Wizard of Oz, when everything goes from black and white into color, like, I felt yeah. like, I felt like uh-huh. it was my life, like everything just became, I could see everything for the first time, even if it was scary, like the color, you know, even if it was frightening and it was, and it still is, it's. Mm-hmm. Not easy to stay sober, especially with what's going on in this world right now. Oh my God. Um, no. But it is easy to make that decision when you know how good it can potentially be. But so on Human, the song, when you say I'm naked all the time, does that is that referencing the feeling of being... I don't know if I can segue into that, but um, does that reference feeling like you are exposed but obviously in a, in a way that it, you're not hiding yeah. anything yeah it's pretty much how I felt all the way through making this record yeah. <laughs> voluntarily like I, I wanted to feel um, you know on the edge and, and felt feel uh, raw and vulnerable and um, 
to not shy away from the experiences and, and the doubts and the self-doubts and, and uh, yeah, and, and, and not try to hide them away or wear a mask of, you know. I could probably talk to you forever, so I don't want to take up too much <laughs> time. But going into the next phase of this and now obviously with touring and everything kind of up in the air because of, yeah. you know, the world um, and this horrible virus that's going around, do you feel, when you feel kind of stuck about an idea or about, you know, something that you're considering that might be quite scary. What is the advice that you've been given or advice that you kind of give yourself to push through? I think feeling naked all the time is part of part of it. And it's about embracing, I think, that uh, discomfort. But um, I think, you know, um, I have moments of... Um, blackness where I can't really write anything and I don't know or everything I write feels really bad or, or and so I think they're just part of you know every artist to have moments where uh, the, it's a block you know and you can't get anything um, that feels um, good enough I think everything everybody goes through that so they're part of the process and sometimes the last hours sometimes weeks sometimes years um, for different artists, and they're just part of it. And what it, what they mean, I think, is that you are still searching, that you haven't found, you haven't found something yet, but you're still searching. And I always think of, you know, the scientists who um, who, uh, who spend a lifetime trying to to find a cure for a virus, for example. Um, and uh, you know, I I. I try to keep myself in that mindset of, uh, you know, an explorer in a way that um, artists are. And um, and I think it's just trying to never give up. And even if you think what you're writing is bad, you should still write. And you should still keep notes and keep keep pushing. And, and if you think it's bad what you're writing, you shouldn't read back straight away. <laughs> Maybe allow some time in between because we're different people, you know, um, every week we, we we have different perspectives and things. So what you think is bad one week, you might think is actually kind of interesting the week after. And I don't know. I mean, it's just, um, it's a muscle. Creativity is a muscle. You should always keep, um, keep at it because inspiration is not something that just strikes uh, in the middle of the night and then you're going to write the best song. No, you're writing the best song because you've, you, you wrote 10 bad songs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like Leonard Cohen says, you know, he said something like, um, if I knew the place where good songs came, good songwriting came, I would go there more often, you know. Absolutely. Um, it's just... Um, it's just never give up, really, and and uh, things come, but they you have to trick yourself, to change your habits. It's um, the same way you would do, you know, you would train your body, you know, to get gain muscles. It's the same way you have to train your yourself to to write, and um, and also I think um, something I've, I've realized is um, you shouldn't be afraid to copy the people you admire. And I mean that not in in a bad way. I just mean that nobody's everything you write in your notebook, nobody has to read it, you know. So don't censor yourself if you feel like oh, I love this line from this poet. Write it down and play with those words, and just don't don't 
don't have too many rules or break them or invent new rules, but but uh, try to yeah be versatile. I think. This must be the gig is produced by Adam Kibble. We'd like to thank Dean Berger and Daniel Brater for additional music, as well as the Consequence Podcast Network. Hey! If you've listened this far, why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too. For information on new episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TMBTGPod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show. Thanks again, and I miss you already. Consequence Podcast Network.